Hi, I'm Jonas Chernick. I'm the writer, producer, and star of movies like James versus His Future Self and Ashgrove. You are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hi, happy Alien Day, all. It's our seventh year of celebrating 426. Oh my god. Yes, it has been seven years, seven long years, some might say. And as usual, for our celebration of everything alien, I'm joined by the man who can spin a basketball on his index finger. It's Craig. That's a complete lie. I cannot do that. (laughs) But for the purposes of those listening, I'm doing it right now while I'm talking. Just over in the corner, spinning away cycling around the podcast room yeah and just waking up from her cryo chamber it's natalie oh, every day <laughs> hello hi how are you guys good to be back enjoying some more alienating i can't believe it's been a whole year since the last yeah a whole year since avp2 <laughs> oh gosh that's what it was i was trying to remember earlier talking to a friend i couldn't even remember what it was but i could remember a lot about the one in the Arctic. For some reason, that relationship you between AVP into your brain. Well, a predator and a human. This year, we're covering Prometheus, which Craig, you may or may not know if this kind of cancels out movies we've covered previously. I don't know whether or not Ridley Scott kind of said, right, enough of that. AVP doesn't count. AVP two doesn't count. Do you know if this counts? Is this part of the quadrilogy or now the quintology? I believe before it came out, he said that as far as he was concerned, the only canon entries were Alien and Aliens. But for the purposes of this film, does it really make a difference? Because it's a prequel anyway. Yeah, it's a prequel. Spoiler alert! When I was was thinking about it, and in the context of all the requels and things that we've spoken about recently, I was thinking there's enough about this that makes it kind of a requel, but it's a prequel, so it's a re-prequel, or... Pre-requel. Oh, these are words I wish I didn't know or just <laughs> But yes, the prequel to Alien. So this is kind of where it all began before we saw anything to do with Xenomorphs or Sigourney Weaver. How about you hit us with some spoiler-free thoughts, Craig? I haven't seen this film since it came out in the cinema. That was the last time I've watched it. I've never watched it since. And I remember when I saw it at the cinema, I didn't hate it, but also didn't like it. And then as time goes on, the discourse around it has been, this is crap, this is the worst thing ever, don't watch it, blah, blah, blah. Then I rewatched it after two goes at it the first time I fell asleep. It's not because I was bored, it's because I was tired, I was ten minutes in. Right, right. It wasn't a boredom-related snooze. For everyone listening, Craig is recovering from COVID. Measure card to lean on. <laughs> it's a sequel to the news podcast where I had COVID. The, the big announcement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've recovered. I've survived. I didn't get any black goo stuck in my eye or whatever happens in this film, perhaps. But watching it the weekend there, I actually didn't think it was too bad. Mm. 
there's definite competence there. Ridley Scott knows how to make a film. He knows what he's doing. It's not embarrassingly badly made like AVP 2. It's this now non-canon entry as of this film. I suppose the AVP films could have happened in the Prometheus universe. They just didn't. I didn't think it was that bad. I don't think it's good, though. I think there's a lot of problems with it. But there's things going on there that are actually quite interesting that we'll probably talk about. So, yeah, yeah it's all right. It's, it's probably the fourth best one maybe we've seen. Definitely in the top four. As a spoiler for a later segment. Natalie, what do you think? It's funny because I remember going to see it at the cinema and I remember enjoying it on a very basic level. Maybe being a bit confused, but how do you just sort of explain things to me? So that was okay. Baroness basics. Yes. And I also remember you being quite excited because there were a lot of Easter eggs and there were a lot of things that were really clear nods to the alien and aliens to come chronologically in that I don't know what I'm trying to say that timeline and I think you and your knowledge kept me connected to the film (laughs) more than if I had just watched it on my own I've seen Alien Aliens they were vital childhood television for me so I'm quite familiar with them but not to the extent where I can remember really small details so I remember enjoying it not loving it and then the more I think about it I'm like what happened so We can talk more about that, I think, as we dive into the plot. Okay, I agree. Well, obviously I agree with you, Natalie, because I was there watching it. (laughs) Can't really dispute that. Uh, But I agree with you, Craig, in that I remember watching this at the time, wanting to like it because I was kind of hyped up for it. It was highly anticipated. It was the return of Ridley Scott. So I was expecting great things. I was expecting a lot of explanation Mm. of things that we'd seen. I'm sure the trailer was probably well engineered, no pun intended, (laughs) to hype us all up and to get us really into this and to have all these mysteries solved or answered for us. Being disappointed by it, I remember that. Coming out of it, feeling slightly confused. That feeling we've spoken about so often on this podcast of, is there something wrong with me or was there something wrong with the movie? (laughs) (laughs) why didn't i enjoy that as much as i wanted to and i think that my opinion of it has suffered over the years as you said craig with the sort of discourse or the narrative on it has been that oh that was rubbish i had the same sort of thing watching it again i think this is maybe only my third time watching it i found myself enjoying it more or or at least enjoying aspects of it more than i remembered or at least more than i believe i've been told to by youtube and the rest of the internet Mm. so there was stuff in there i liked and I do also remember that feeling, though, at the more kind of ludicrous parts of it, remembering those feelings in the cinema, thinking, why would they do that? Or why would that happen? Or this is just raising more questions than answers. So it's my spoiler-free impression. Mm -hmm. But I believe we might need to hit the spoiler alert alarm to allow us to continue and dig deeper into the plot. So yeah, ring that alarm. Danger. The emergency destruct system is now activated. I've got a point on the agenda about Ridley Scott returning. I want to come back to that, but I thought first, Natalie, you could give us a plot synopsis. Oh, yeah. Good. One second. So this is the synopsis according to online. (laughs) The discovery of a clue to mankind's origins on Earth leads a team of explorers to the darkest parts of the universe. Two brilliant young scientists lead the expedition. Shaw, Numi Rapace, hopes that they will meet a race of benevolent godlike beings who will in some way verify her religious beliefs, while Holloway, Logan Marshall Green, is out to debunk any spiritual notions. However, neither the scientists nor their shipmates are prepared for the unimaginable terrors that await them. Now, did you get all of that when watching the film? It's really funny because reading that, I was 
really struggling to not interrupt myself. <laughs> <laughs> what to say? Well, that doesn't make like, sense. Or well, they didn't do that. Is this the IMDb summary? This is the one that is straight up on the internet. And, um, <laughs> Movie database. <laughs> it is really interesting because especially the sort of dynamic between the two lead scientists that are in the exploration. You asked me to read the synopsis and then I thought, okay, yeah, I can do that. But I didn't read it before right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a, a toss-up between either getting you to try and regurgitate a synopsis based on what we just watched <laughs> or getting you to read that out. And I think we've got the yeah. best of both worlds. Yeah, that's the sort of official synopsis. I definitely have some immediate reactionary responses. Go for it. <laughs> well, I just feel like they've been quite clear, I think, there. Maybe everyone is supposed to read this before they go into the movie. <laughs> that's always good homework before you watch something that's what you need to do like well yeah exactly i feel like the hopes that shaw has that i think is quite clear what i didn't find clear is a Holloway's character wanting to debunk things because that doesn't seem to panic perhaps as i would expect that to and also his character is just a bit weird but then there's quite a few characters who act or respond to certain situations in ways which I think is quite conflicting with what their character is. We talked about this a little bit last night after watching the movie and even during the movie where I was like, no, I just don't think that that is how that character <laughs> responds. And we might talk about that a little bit later. Well, I wonder if that might have something to do mm. with frequent Neil before pod antagonist Damon Lindelof's <laughs> involvement in the writing and Craig I thought you might have something to say on that I definitely picked up on the characters that don't seem to conform to what they're supposed to be you've got the geologist mapping guy that gets lost for example yeah. that's about the opposite of what you would expect of him oh, yeah. if there's one thing this guy should know how to do is navigate right because he makes maps that's his job yeah. yep he's got all the kit he sends out the drones and then just ignores it all. Yeah, and then people sticking their face into strange alien creatures rather than running away, oh, as you would usually do. Everybody taking their helmets off because the air's breathable. Let's not worry about what's in the air. I definitely want to flag that up too. That is something that comes up later on in the film. But at the time, I was like, why would they do that? There could be fungal spores. There could be any kind of bacteria that they've just taken into their system. I was like, COVID. dumbest scientists <laughs> ever. They've got all the gadgets and gizmos aplenty, but they don't have common sense. And they also signed up for a mission where they weren't briefed until they were <laughs> woken up halfway onto that mission. Yeah. That also seems very odd. You get paid extra when you do that. Do you want to go on this mission? Sure. We'll tell you later. It's so top secret, but then surely they would know. Maybe that goes to kind of describing how moronic they are. That they, <laughs> They're the only people that they could get to sign up for this that would say, yeah, I'll do it before they even knew what was mm. involved. The only way the plot moves forward in this film is through characters being stupid. Routinely. Mm -hmm. Every movement in the plot towards their destruction is because someone does a stupid thing. The only intelligent character really is Vickers, because she's the one that says, no, don't let him on the ship. Look at him. Mm -hmm. He's dissolving before our very eyes. We're not letting him on the ship. You say that, but how does she meet her end? Yeah, oh my God. Like an absolute dummy. Well, she doesn't know how to run away from something <laughs> that, yeah. From a giant donut. <laughs> That's one of the memes of this film, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Prometheus School of Running Away from Things, as it's known. I want to just quickly ask, Lindelof, is that the writer that you're talking about? Yeah. Why, yes. What else has he done? Because I don't know that joke. Star Trek Into Darkness. I was going to sit back and let Craig kind of... <laughs> okay. And is that the only record he's got? Did he just 
get into those two things and he was like okay i'm done yeah it was his first job they gave him star trek and prometheus those were his first two jobs no he was on lost and things like that which is a show i haven't really watched very much of i got three seasons into lost and thought i've had enough i'm not gonna watch this anymore so that was that i don't even know if he was writing it by then i think so i think that people were kind of fed up with the things get set up and never really resolved or there's lots of mysteries or puzzle boxes that just kind of go nowhere I feel like that really does change how anyone would approach a movie then. I don't really pay attention to to those sorts of things when I'm going to watch a movie or anything, but maybe people really have to be briefed before they watch movies like this because it just sounds like he did the exact same thing. I don't think people should need to have a working knowledge of what's going on before they go in because that's the job of a film, right? Yeah. Is to tell you the story, it's to tell you everything you need to know. A sequel's slightly different, but even the sequel should establish itself on its own parameters, really. It should give you mm. enough to go with, however it manages to do that. But maybe you can manage your expectations, though, because I feel like if you know that the writer has a classic history of not seeing things through or opening up lots of different storylines or not being great with character writing. I feel like if I was like, okay, I have an awareness of that person, I would totally lower my expectations of any movie. (laughs) Maybe I'd be like, oh, classic Lindorf or whatever his name is. Oh, he's done it again. That's fine if you're into the background of these things as we are because we podcast about them and things but your average moviegoer just buys a ticket and goes to see something and then if it doesn't make any sense then it doesn't make any sense yeah and i think that's why i like doing these podcasts because i am that regular moviegoer who does not pay attention to those things who goes and will try and absorb things on a mostly surface level thing but it is really interesting though that you guys definitely approach this from a very different view of understanding who the writer was and it's really frustrating to see that that person sounds like they're doing a terrible job and maybe seriously affected (laughs) this movie well for me i think the knowledge that this was ridley scott returning to the universe was more of a letdown and again i found myself kind of going back and forth sitting on the fence yet again when watching this and thinking or falsely remembering that the plot was a bit more garbled than it actually turned out to be it's fairly straightforward i suppose there are some parts of it where you're thinking what's this character's motivation why are they doing that various questions sprung up as we were watching it (laughs) in my mind i remembered the whole thing about the facility the bioweapon the place that these characters find themselves at investigating i remember or i thought i remembered that you almost needed to do your research after watching the film to really work out some of that (laughs) stuff but i think idris elba actually spells it out partway through the film so it does actually do a fair job of telling you what's going on it's just there are more confounding choices made by the characters Mm -hmm. i suppose the current model of how some sequels are done is a bit confusing to some audiences that might not know the ins and outs halloween for example they released the one that's okay this is a sequel to only the first one so every other halloween film you've seen since the first one just ignore it but the film gives you that information early on It tells you about that incident that happened however many years ago it was, and then that tells you, okay, the sequel didn't happen. If you've seen that stuff, then none of that happened. It might be confusing, and it might take you out a bit as you try to follow it, but it's in there. But yeah, there's all sorts of messing around with sequels and timelines and things to make things work, and even this Ridley Scott saying before the film came out, I only count Alien and Aliens as part of my canon, which is irrelevant to this film, and whether you know that or not is... 
again, irrelevant, unless you're expecting Alien versus Predator to get referenced. For example, Whalen doesn't look like that, and he died in AVP. What's going on here? Yeah, I have to say, going back to Ishizaba, yeah, I think him sort of spelling it out for us, that late in the movie, I think it should just come a little bit sooner, or maybe it should have been included in the briefing. That would have been a perfect opportunity, although maybe things have been uncovered by then, right? Possibly, so, but I, I think know. that they want to have these revelations, and none of them really hit all that well. Also, he's the least qualified to be delivering that information. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He even says, yeah, he's just a pilot. But we've got engineers who are supposed to have seeded life on all sorts of different planets. Our main characters follow the star map to this planet, go investigating it, find out that there's some goo. They probably shouldn't mess with the goo, but for some reason the android David is interested in the goo. He he wants to experiment with the goo for some reason, <laughs> not clear. And then everything goes to pot. Do you think it's unclear why David made Well, it seems like he's got some orders to do it, and there's usually some meddling androids, but oh. when I was thinking about it, and goo, monsters, zombies, all kinds of things are set loose upon the crew, and then it's your typical horror movie, slasher movie, where people just get taken down one by one. But when I was trying to break it down beat by beat, I was thinking this is very similar to an alien movie, so it fulfills that kind of requel mould. Crew finds signal, crew investigates signal, crew's attacked by an alien organism, there's a meddling android in there, supposed to be helping them, but turns out, no, actually on the side of the baddies. Crew's decimated by the alien organism, and then a final girl survives to fly off at the end. And I thought that describes Alien and Aliens, Alien 3, basically every one of the films in this series. <laughs> so if you break it down or reduce it down to its core parts, it feels a bit like they were just thinking, right, let's do what's been successful in the past. But we'll also try and throw in some of these ideas around creation and wanting to meet your creator. And I don't know if those things gel that well. I like the parts of the film that I've just discussed, which are arguably done better in other movies. And the bigger ideas that they try and introduce, I don't think come over all that well. I get the impression that this film, and I don't know if this is actually what had happened, but that this film started out as not being connected to the Alien franchise in any way. Because if you remove all the imagery associated with those films, all the lore, everything, get rid of Wayland, get rid of the logos, get rid of all that, then it is just a science fiction film about people going to try and find their creator and then finding their creator and being really badly disappointed when they do. You could remove all that and the film wouldn't need to change. And I know that Damon Lindelof talked about maybe having that idea of this creationism anti-creationism thing and we talked about a Lindelof thing on the news podcast recently where it is essentially that it's religion versus science type thing so it seems like Lindelof is into that idea in some way and wants to revisit it so I do wonder if he had this idea or someone had this idea and it's we'll make this but make it an alien film and Ridley Scott will direct it and then you suddenly get all these references crowbarred in that don't necessarily make sense. It's entirely possible I mean I suppose it must have happened plenty of times before just slap some branding on it and You've got yourself a franchise movie. Mm. Yeah. Some of the scenes are just actually quite magical. This I do think it looks good. That's yeah. one of the things I do like about it is that I think Ridley Scott obviously knows how to make something visually stunning. And I think that yeah. he achieved that. A lot of it looks really good. Whoever cinematographer was did really well. I think most of it was filmed in Iceland. And a wee bit of Scotland. Yeah, they filmed the opening in Sky. And it was Sky playing Sky as well. Nice. Which means Sky playing Sky. As in they were actually in Sky within the story. It wasn't meant to be somewhere else. Yeah, there was one bit actually where one of the characters, I don't have her name written down, but she is the Scottish one. She says something. Kate Dickey's character. What's her name, sorry? 
Kate Dickey's character. That's the actor's name. I don't yeah, know the character's yeah. name. The character's name is Ford. Ford. There we go. Okay. Yeah, there's definitely a point where they refer to Sky in Scotland and not Sky in the UK. <laughs> it's quite nice to be represented and a wee bit specific. I don't know if we're going to talk about her character, but her acting did not match up with anything <laughs> the crew, and I feel really bad about that because obviously, absolutely root for everyone to be amazing, but I felt like there was a wee bit of theatre acting. Did, what did you think about the whole engineer plot? The big white guys. <laughs> what did I think about it? Yeah. Interesting storyline. Was it delivered the way that maybe I think could have been quite wonderful? No. <laughs> I don't think it really met its full potential. This always happens when we do these podcasts and we review or take a closer examination of TV shows or movies and stuff. Is that I'll find that something that I've kind of liked. The more I think about it, the more I can see maybe some things are just really not good. I just, I feel like it could have been much, much better. I think there's quite a lot of quite jarring characters, which we've discussed from the writer aspect of things. They took me out of the zone. They took me away from what was going on because I thought, who would act like that? And why are they doing certain things? And you're right, how did the the mapping guy get lost? It's just a bit rubbish. And the engineers, that storyline, it feels like it's central, but then it doesn't feel like it's central. So... I don't know. It's a bit confusing. What do you think, Craig, in terms of the whole engineer plot, what the crew finds and how they basically interact with this? We've got Holloway, who is seen being very enthusiastic about meeting living aliens or living creators, and then seems to get really fed up that they made this incredible discovery, but they're not alive, so to him, it's time to sit and drown his sorrows. So I have thoughts about the whole engineer plot, and one thing I bang on often enough about on this podcast is the value of mystery and how some of them never have to be solved. For example, The Space Jockey. This film answers the questions that people have had since Alien came out. Ooh, what is that giant fossilised alien that they found inside that crashed ship? What happened? How did it get there? Etc. Okay, they don't answer how that guy got there, but... He crashed. An alien burst out of his chest and he crashed. So that's what happened. But here it's, oh look, they've got that trunk on their face and it's fossilised so we can't tell. Well, that's a helmet. And they're just guys that look like kind of giant white humans. It's really boring as an answer. We didn't need that answer. And the fact that people have been debating this for decades and Damon Lindelof comes along being like, here's the answer to your question. And everyone's like, oh, is that it? Thanks, Lindelof, for ruining it. I'm just going to pretend this film doesn't exist. Did you identify with Holloway then? No, although I do understand his disappointment as in came out here to meet living aliens. And if he'd lived a bit longer, he would have, actually. (laughs) Just check the cryopods, they're in there. I don't know. I think if you had travelled for two plus years, that you'd find this incredible place. They don't strike me as scientists who've ever left planet Earth. So would you not just be so taken in with the fact that all of your research that brought you to this place was right and he doesn't seem to get any satisfaction from that and I find that really confusing yeah alive or dead we have proven that we're not alone in the universe right that should be worth something and I was actually into the religion versus science debate a bit and I know it got a lot of criticism at the time someone I used to know 
vehemently anti-religious for whatever reason. I hated the film because there was a scientist in it who was also religious. And that's the point of belief, isn't it? The point of belief is you believe in something despite the fact that all rational evidence points to it not being a thing you should believe in. So the whole idea of, okay, we've just proven that God didn't create us. Well, who created them? It's that infinite argument, isn't it? Well, it all had to come from somewhere. The fact that we came from them is irrelevant because where did they come from? It's quite interesting because I guess it's denying evolution, right? Well, it's not because all the engineers did was drop some DNA in the primordial soup, so to speak, and then evolution happened from there. But if that were the case though, right? So when they do the DNA match, they find that the DNA of the alien, of the engineers, I should say, matches humans exactly. You don't find that your DNA matches with everything else on the planet that supposedly evolved from or created would match and be the exact same. Although, aren't we genetically a couple of lines of code away from being cows? That's how close genetics are. I mean, I'm not a geneticist. I'm not going to be one of those armchair Twitter people that (laughs) pretend that they know how to defeat viruses and things, but... This movie paints it as though we humans have the exact same DNA match-up as the engineers, so we've come from them. I think... That is like saying, I hadn't really thought about this yesterday, but that is like saying to Numira Pace's character that she's right to believe that evolution is not a thing. I think it's, yeah, I think it is confusing that scene where the DNA comparison happens. And yeah, you're right. You see in the very beginning, the engineer takes a drink of the black goo, begins to break down his DNA, falls into the water, and that sparks life in that planet. Could have been Earth, could have been somewhere else. But yeah, if things had progressed as we currently understand them to have then our dna would have come quite a long way from that but yeah yeah, i wonder what the point of that match was or if that is pointing at some other hypothesis or theory as to how humans came about as i understand it environmental factors influence evolution as well so if the engineers evolved in a environment with different gravity and different mixtures of breathable air and things like that it's conceivable they would look different but still be genetically similar or genetically the same i'm not buying into the science of they're an exact match and i don't think they did enough research into the science to make it work within the film and there's so many films with really awful science for example that scarjo movie with humans you only use 10 percent of their brains or whatever no they don't they use 100 percent of their brains just at different times for different reasons mm. yeah that's nonsense science i don't know if that is true <laughs> <laughs> See the notes at the end. that's a story for um, another time it's something that i thought very odd actually that numero pace is a symbol of being human for her having her cross around her neck and there's one point where she doesn't have it and she wants it back but it's like well we don't know the history of the object and the sentimental reason for that and I don't really think that they touched much actually into the religion side of things. I I wonder if the whole DNA match scene was a bit of shorthand for them to be able to say look we need to be able to link this engineer to earth so that the scientists can do their test can see the link between this species and our planet we've done the research into the cave paintings and things we need to tie up all these loose ends or we need to link them somehow and i wonder if the writers just kind of made that decision okay we know that the dna from the first scene makes its way into a planet's ecosystem we need to tie that up somehow and maybe they just didn't think of all the repercussions of putting that in there you know like there's a match here and then 
people mm-hmm. for the last 10 years, because I think this came out 10 years ago, have probably been having this discussion about <laughs> what does this mean? Does this mean there's no evolution? Does this mean this is a replacement for what we think of as God? I wonder, maybe they just didn't think it through. But it's interesting as well, because that symbol of the cross is very specific to Jesus and what happened to him. And I don't know, it's like weird because it's just, oh, I don't know, it's like... Mm. In my mm. <laughs> in my brief research... I think I know what the anecdote you're about to talk about. They confront the living engineer and Shaw asks him or wants to know from him why they were planning to go back to Earth because they find out that the ship had set a course for Earth so they could go and release this bioweapon on Earth to destroy human life and presumably everything else. Maybe they were pretty upset with their experiment there. I've seen theories, I don't know if this is from deleted scenes if it's from people who were involved with the making of the movie having said anything to do with this but one theory is that jesus was a an engineer they age the corpse that they find to be two thousand years ago so there's this link in time to Ah. sort of human history of they knew that they were going to go to earth and destroy it because of something that humans had done the theory is that engineer jesus came down (laughs) humans did what they did to him according to the bible and the engineers didn't like this very much that their emissary was crucified so they thought right that's it we're gonna go drop some black goo on them no joke i would watch that movie (laughs) (laughs) that was an interview with ridley scott where he talked about that. He talked about the last time they visited Earth, we crucified them and Jesus was a giant engineer and (laughs) somehow that happened. These guys don't appear to grow hair under Earth's yellow sun, though, so... (laughs) I guess the imagery was not accurate. That's fine. Lots of historical imagery is exaggerated or whatever. I don't know. It's into that whole ancient aliens type conspiracy, isn't it? The whole idea of, oh, they came down, they built the pyramids and whatever. I don't know if the engineers built the pyramids. It doesn't seem like they did. And of course, we've had the explanation for pyramids before in Alien versus Predator. Of course, which is non-canon to this film as far as we know. Well, definitely (laughs) isn't, unless it's Whalen's ancestor. It is really interesting because it's quite a Western religion and it's quite a Western specific gaze, I think, for the crew that are on the ship. It's interesting when it's set later in the 21st century, you would think that things would be a bit more inclusive. Craig, had you finished your thought on Ridley Scott's (laughs) theories? Well, I didn't really have any thoughts on that theory. It's not in the film, so it's irrelevant as far as I'm concerned, and they never follow up on it. The Western gaze, Christianity, it's one of those catch-all religions, isn't it? It's the one that they always use. I don't know if the crew should have been a ragtag group of different religious scientists. You have the Hindu scientist, you've got the Christian scientist, the Catholic scientist, I don't know, all of them. Just everybody's following a different religion. They were trying to get at that whole creationism, evolution thing, and they muddle it because they don't go into detail about it. Mm-hmm. Certainly the impression I got was that evolution still happens, but it's something kickstarts evolution. And that's part of what a lot of scientists who mm-hmm. have faith believe, as in there's some higher being that kickstarted things and then science happens. Yeah. Okay, that's an explanation because there's no real justifiable way of saying how the Big Bang happened, for example. It just did. Was that a higher being that lit the match, so to speak? I don't know. <laughs> it could be, but it's also the idea of defining what these higher beings are, as in any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. That's another thing that you could take from this. They're way more advanced than us. They created us. It's something that they were able to do. And turns out we were just a failed experiment, which calls a lot of existential questions, doesn't it? It's, mm-hmm. well, we're a failed experiment. Are we worth anything? Is what we've accomplished worth anything? 
again, the film doesn't deliver on any of that, but it's in there in the subtext. Yeah, and I think David has a lot to do with that. The best part I find of this movie is actually David and his motivations and the actions that he puts into play. I think that his quest is exactly the same as Shaw. I don't think it's subtle, but I don't think it's fully fulfilled. And I wish that there'd been a bit more about that or we could have just watched that be taken to another level. I just think that David's drive of wanting to know what he is or he's being told repeatedly he's not worth anything or he's been made just because he could be made. And I think that it could have been played out a little bit more with the engineers and the people on board the ship. I think it's another yeah. example of an interesting idea that's just not properly explored. Yeah. I agree that the, that's it. That's, the, that, con- the <laughs> that conversation between Holloway and David where they're talking about meeting your creator and what if they said it was just because we could and for all we know we're only here because it was an experiment like that. I think that was probably one of the more interesting nuggets that they drop in there, but it just doesn't fully explore those ideas. I think the problem with David is they don't establish that he's anything beyond what he's supposed to be. He's an android, and we know from the previous Alien movies that androids are designed to mimic human behaviour, but they're not actually human. They don't feel emotions. They just appear to express emotions because it makes us more comfortable. It makes us relate to them more, I suppose. But there's no hint of sentience from David. He's just kind of doing what he's told. But we see him on his own and we see him getting up to no good, I guess, when he's opening doors and he's learnt the language of the engineers and he's inquisitive and he's trying to uncover these things. And I think the questions that he asks and the conversation he provokes with the other scientists, I think gives quite a clear indication. Yeah, I think. I feel like he's he's almost portrayed in the original Alien. Ash, the android, is an antagonist, but it's because he's been programmed or he's received instructions to do that. And I feel like David in this is more malevolent or it seems as if he's more willful. I appreciate that, yes, he's an android and he's acting on instructions as well, but he he seems more inquisitive. He almost seems to have more of a sort of personality than Ash did where he was just carrying out the instructions or the programming. I wonder what you think about that, Craig. He was Whalen's pet project, right? That's established in the film. He talks about how he programmed David to do certain things and some of the actions he carries are just confusing, such as getting the black goo and infecting... Shaw with it. And he has that line, big things come from small beginnings or whatever it is. How do you know what this is going to do? How do you know what you're doing here? It's clear he's been given the instructions. You get that bit where he goes and speaks to Wayland in VR as well. Yeah. Where he's, I'm doing what you asked. I didn't get that it was clear though. I definitely thought that he was doing that himself. I mean, thinking about it now, I think it is. I mean, he is, but he's following some intricate programming. He's effectively Wayland's avatar, at least for most of the film until Wayland wakes up, gets killed almost five minutes later. (laughs) See, I don't know if I view it like that, though. I view it as it's an android exploring and wanting to know because he's developed some sentience and he wants to know the answers to the same questions that the humans do. And so he's questing as well. And I think that he's also able to understand how rude they are towards him. The fact that he's been created, the fact that humans have just learnt potentially that they've been created. And so actually they're the same thing. He's just not viewed as though he's the same because to David, humans 
are the engineers. Yeah, I, I do feel that like he does me. exhibit yeah. curiosity, but I think that... Um, that's not necessarily emotional, though, right? That's just a programming thing. His directive is to gather knowledge. But he seems to get really annoyed when people continue to refer to him as only an android or that he's not human and so he can't possibly understand something. He seems to respond in a way that suggests that he is capable of more than they give him credit for. And I think it's almost like he is manipulating situations to sort of show them actually that he does have more control over certain things than they give him credit for. They just take him for... I think there's kind of an analogue in Aliens bishop the android is treated with a bit of animosity or a bit of distrust from the marines the look on his face is as if he's trying to process this as a computer might Mm. he he doesn't seem to harbor any kind of reciprocal animosity towards them in the way that david does in this and that might be to do with his programming or to do with the way that wayland has intended him to carry out these instructions but i do still think that his behavior isn't all that well explained and I don't know whether or not that's deliberately unclear or, again, if it's just something that I'm not understanding about what's being presented. I believe he's got emotions. I'm dragging in some of what I know from Covenant here, so it's not necessarily relevant to this film, but Covenant digs a bit more into the Wayland-David relationship, as in David is definitely a creation of Wayland, and the idea that Wayland is old and frail and can't really go out much, so his only interaction is with David. Again, this isn't the next film, it's not really in this one, but it does stand to reason that if he's only going to interact with this artificial being, he would program it to be as human as he possibly can, so that it doesn't feel like he's interacting with a machine. And I think David's definitely picked up some bad habits from him in terms of this (laughs) perceived contempt of humanity, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's an emotional connection to it. It could just be a mathematical... No, but I don't think he's in contempt of humanity. I think it's just that people on board the ship don't treat him very well or with any respect and so I feel like it's him saying we're now the same and recognising that there's this similarity and wanting to exploit them in a way to show that they are vulnerable and it's almost like a lesson. A lot of his dialogue is well you humans are useless you can't even do the things I do you need to breathe I don't all that stuff but it could be a mathematical decision it could be a mathematical humans are worthless because they're not as good as I am I'll get rid of them it's the Terminator thing isn't it Skynet decides that humanity needs to go because they're useless or the Matrix the machines decide we need to go because we're useless we're damaging we shouldn't be there but I think it is definitely ambiguous enough I just see it as more of an approximation of human behaviour rather than being human behaviour but that makes him dangerous because he doesn't have any morality he doesn't have an emotional connection so anything he does is just based on his programming which means that he doesn't have any affection or regret or guilt he does say that he kind of presents as a human because humans can't work with people that aren't like them yeah so he laughs and he makes jokes and whatever do you think you find it hard to accept that he's got emotion because he's not like what's his face in star trek it's activated and it's not as extreme no like data to me it's clear enough that he's emulating the behavior of humans but he hasn't got a soul as wayland puts it can i ask what are the other names of the other androids because the first two were a and b yep ash then bishop and then there's a c somewhere isn't there in one of them now we're on d yeah yeah this is like how they name guide dogs (laughs) or storms (laughs) storm david and if this was supposed to be before i feel like it should have had a name like (laughs) beginning with a zero (laughs) (laughs) 
just thrown out there. I found myself asking why he was doing some of these things, like why he was putting the goo in Holloway's drink. But then I wonder if his directive was, once you get there, you're going to get me, aka Wayland, over to those engineers. I want to meet my maker. I want to have my life extended. Also, whatever you find, if it's alien technology or whatever, consider the crew expendable. Just experiment on them. Do what you can with them. Do you think that's what he was doing when he took the jar back and he was analysing it and thinking what's going to happen if I expose them to this? Because no, I think he wanted to be a creator. I think that he wanted to be able to manipulate and change and create the way that the engineers and humans are. I think that he was trying to find a way So into- did he know that Holloway and Shaw were going to procreate using goo babies? I think he could probably guess that that's what was going to happen. But- <laughs> How could you I possibly think, but I think that guess was, that that was going to no, be the result? <laughs> I think that he was taking an initiative year where he wanted to be viewed like a god, where he wanted to be someone who he created. he had he had been created and he wanted to do some creating. Yeah, interesting. But again, I didn't get that from from the movie. Did, you know the engineers, the humans, David, and David's like, now we're the same. I want to create also. And understood the goo to be like, this is a life essence. And if I give it to them, maybe they will be like the engineers, but I'll be their parent. Yeah, but where did he get that information? I think this is just what he was thinking. I think it's interesting that we've managed to have such a long conversation on his motivations. And I do think that he leads... he's a major driving force of the whole movie. What is a pretty good cast. Again, another point about this that I find disappointing is that it is a good cast. Michael Fassbender, we should say, plays David. Probably should have mentioned that a long time ago. But I think the cast looks good on paper and then has to work with these strange characters. Maybe we could discuss (laughs) some of the others because we haven't actually spoken about any of the human characters much yet. Shaw, I suppose, as the final girl, she's the kind of Ripley replacement in this movie. Craig, what's your take on her? I thought she was interesting, as I've said, with the whole religion science thing, that dichotomy that exists within her. She's a scientist who also believes in God. And that's where certainly that one person that I used to know based their hatred of the movie on, actually, the fact that those things happen. But those people exist. Of course they do, because the world is infinite in the way people present themselves. Fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not mutually exclusive. No, can they don't have to be. Hold religion and be into science. Yeah, I guess she's an interesting enough character, but like everybody else, she doesn't really get enough to do. I don't get a sense of her and Holloway's relationship, really other than the one conversation they have. They have that bit about anybody can create life. All you need is some DNA and half a brain. And she says, oh, well, does that mean I can't create life? And it's, oh, she can't have children. Okay, that's a thing. And then that's supposed to make the reveal that, oh, you're pregnant more impactful later on. But it's really not anything. But it's interesting when we're thinking about the fact that in this, the power is to the creators and talking about all of that. I think it's quite important because I think maybe people do feel like they aren't human if they can't have babies or they can't procreate. That's definitely a thing, yeah. I think it's interesting that she brings it up, though, and makes a point of that, because then it's thinking about the actions of David again differently. He technically shouldn't be able to create, and he attempts it. There might be a link there. I don't know where I'm going with it, but 
could it be a attempt at a more scholarly approach to the body horror that appears throughout these movies you know we've talked before about how the whole alien life cycle is about impregnation mm. and that that's a horrific thought for a lot of the all the humans basically but for a lot of men that appear in these movies is that they've got something living inside them that eventually bursts out and i think that this mm-hmm. is maybe an approach to think about that idea but trying to think mm. about it a bit higher level than we're talking about alien bugs that come bursting through Mm. your chest so to try and think about creation and about life like that i don't know i get the feeling they're trying to be a bit more scholarly in Mm. in this approach it's half-baked though isn't it and that's a problem i have with a lot of lindelof stuff is he throws an idea at you but he doesn't give you enough of it he doesn't explore it in any way he just seems to think that what he gives you is enough and then he just accuses you of not understanding his film when you say but this doesn't make any sense it's no it doesn't make any sense so you can't throw in a detail like Shaw is upset that she is unable to have children and then not take it anywhere. You can't do that. They do take it somewhere because they do have a scene where she's suddenly pregnant and she's like, that's impossible. And then it's really interesting to see her be aware that she is growing life inside her and then make the decision that it's unnatural for her. Yeah, but there's no time for the emotional connection of that to sink in. I think that probably should have come up a lot earlier rather than the scene before she ends up pregnant. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was yeah. going to say exactly yeah. the same thing. And then, she, again, she makes a boneheaded decision. They quite reasonably say, let's get you into cryostasis. We'll take you back to Earth and then we'll look into this. And she's like, nope, get it out of me right now. Yeah, because why would she agree to go into cryostasis that she can be a living specimen when she gets back to birth an alien? On Earth. Because what happens as you get back to Earth and then there's maybe experts that can look at this? They wouldn't, though. They would use her. She doesn't know that, though. No, she'd basically be taken back as a body holding cargo because people probably on Earth want to have that alien there. Hasn't this happened in one of the other movies where it's like, if you are hosting an alien yeah okay, basically we'll all of them the idea yeah, is let's we'll let's get earth some aliens and, and people and then them ship them back to earth but it's always a surprise when that turns out to be the plan but i don't think it's boneheaded that she's like i'm going to handle this because obviously everyone wants to use me to host an alien baby she might not have been in a great state of mind because she'd just seen her partner get incinerated as well but no i don't think it's boneheaded she thinks it through and she knows exactly what she needs to do and then she does it and go her. I think based on her available information, she had no cause to think that she would just be locked up and dissected when getting back to Earth. Because she's a scientist, right? The whole point is we're going to bring back specimens and study them. That's the whole point of this mission. Through her. There's no way you would be okay with that. Let's get me back home. Let's get an actual doctor to look at me rather than this weird medical pod. Why? Because she's already showing us three months pregnant and she literally had sex the day before. That is not going to have a happy ending for her at all. She wouldn't even make it back. Well, she would because she'd be frozen. I think that her response and her action is in keeping with her character. I don't think it's boneheaded. I think that she is able to see through that situation and know exactly what she needs to do. Which is beat up half the crew and then have invasive surgery performed on yourself. Yeah, go through a pretty horrific procedure through a medical pod that's designed only to work on a man. (laughs) For some reason. I was thinking about this as well, right? At the start of the film, I'd kind of forgotten about Wayland. And when you see that suite, you think, okay, this is Vickers' suite. And that's her special medical pod. But actually, as we get to find out, that suite isn't hers. Really, I think it's for 
Guy Pierce. For plasticine for Guy Pierce. Yeah, it's for Willand. And I think that that hospital amazing bed, Wonder Red, <laughs> is for him. I think it's been programmed for him. He's the one that's not got very long left. Like, Definitely has, yeah. Yeah. In my head, I was like, oh, that's but I think that's supposed to be, personal. I think that's supposed to be another breadcrumb that they're like, mm-hmm. oh, this is only mm-hmm. to work on a man. But we've only seen Vickers in there, so yeah. what could this possibly be? What's this exactly. mystery? And then it obviously is revealed not too long after that Plasticine Guy Pierce is actually bored. <laughs> well, you know that Wayland's going to turn up because you can probably guess that Guy Pierce isn't just going to turn up for one hologram briefing scene. <laughs> but there was a couple of moments that foreshadowed it nicely. I did. I the pod is one of them, I guess, but there was a bit earlier on. It's the bit where I can't remember the exact line, but Wayland talks about his creation or his son or whatever. David's like a son to me and Vickers does this little wince which sets up the whole daughter connection as in oh, I'm not important to them they don't do anything with it really they just have a bit where it's I'm your daughter I'm like alright cool it's really interesting because watching it back from the start I knew that she was his daughter or granddaughter I can't quite remember which but I felt like they were related and I don't know if it's because that is just what I was assuming or it's because I could remember something from the other movie but it didn't feel like I could remember it from the last film it just felt like that was naturally who she was so when that happened I was like oh I don't know if I can really judge this properly because I feel like I knew that already all of these things felt really obvious to me <laughs> it's a bit of a nothing reveal though isn't it yeah yeah does yeah. it matter at all yeah it doesn't make any difference to anyone when she said it I was like why is she being so dramatic about that I feel like I already knew that I almost feel like having proved great actors like Charlize Theron and Idris Elba in these parts that don't really do anything. It's a bit of a waste almost. Mm. Mm. And you expect something more for her character and then nothing really comes of it. You learn that she's related to plasticine Guy Pierce, and that she can't outrun a spaceship that's rolling <laughs> towards her. Why did that need to be Charlize Theron? Also that she's self-serving though because Idris Elba says, I can't remember his name, I'm just going to call him Idris Elba. Yannick. Okay. But he says, yeah, the escape pod's ready. You can go and you can live here for two years if you want. And she's like, yeah, see you later. Bye. And then just leaves and doesn't bother about anybody else. So there's that self-serving thing. She's rich. She mentions that a couple of times. Yeah, because she's the daughter of that guy. Yeah. Like, this is my ship. I spent money on it. Don't go crashing it into this alien ship. (laughs) Just feels like a bit of a nothing role. I don't know. She's good in it because she's good in everything. But... Mm. I don't know, mm. what was that character? I'm going to blame the writer. Well, you could have condensed her into Yannick. They could have been the same character. Mm. Yeah, you could have just had a captain of the mm. ship. Yeah. Who was yeah. kind of aloof. Has his own life support or her own life support pod, whichever. Yeah, I found that her lines, she doesn't seem to really have very many. Twice in the movie she goes, son of a bitch. <laughs> That's like all she says. Expresses less emotion than David as well. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's like another one where she just goes, Jesus Christ. I suppose there is the kind of question around she and David are both these kind of steely, blonde Aryan types. Mm. And I think Yannick at one point does even ask her if she's a robot. And that was maybe another sort of misdirect that they were going for. I think first time I saw this, I was thinking, are they robot brother and sister? I don't know whether or not that was some sort of half mystery that they were going for. Is it maybe that David is the son that Wayland wanted Vickers to be? Yeah, possibly. I honestly found Yannick's character really problematic (laughs) and I think we talked about this yesterday as well I found that his dialogue with her just really awful that is not okay to address a woman and insinuate that she's a robot because she isn't interested in having sex with him I just honestly found that 
just really poor. Maybe a robot would be interested just for the experience. I don't know. Honestly, (laughs) it's the kind of rubbish that women get thrown in their faces quite a lot. And so I really found it really awful. So I really didn't vibe with Yannick's character whatsoever. He's also weirdly unprofessional as a captain. He just cuts about in his t-shirt and baseball cap and just seems very aloof. But just is also really quite sexist and he also seems to be homophobic as well. He makes a reference to the two guys who get lost and don't make it back to the ship. He makes a reference to them. Don't cuddle or something like that. No, he says don't bugger each other. Oh yeah, that's right. That, that was kind awful. of weird. Who if I'm being charitable, I guess he's maybe kind of a callback to the space mm-hmm. truckers of the first <laughs> one where he's kind of a, a flyboy. All he does is fly the ship. Mm-hmm. He's a pilot. He has his naked lady playing cards. Yeah, exactly. He's kind of rough and ready. He's that guy. He's the kind of working man. Yeah. How did they expect this to age, though? Those stereotypes, I very much feel, belong in the past. And you can carry them on if you want a little bit of nostalgia, but you can do it without being that offensive i agree that he is a problematic character but i don't subscribe to the idea that you should remove problematic characters from fiction entirely that's not what i'm saying at all i just think that they really could have used different language and i think that the fact that the situation with him and vickers where he basically pressures her into having sex with him it's not really given that much screen time but that is essentially what happens he's saying if you don't want to have sex with me, you're a robot and makes her feel bad. And she's like, okay, fine, meet me in my room. But that's not But do you okay. not agree with Craig that it should be possible for characters like that to appear in yeah, art? Yeah, but I just feel like for the movie, though, it's not necessary whatsoever. I'm not saying you can't have problematic characters. I'm just saying there's really no need for that scene. It's not necessary in that it it doesn't come to anything because everything you know about Vickers, which isn't much, suggests that she's very much a self-made person, right? She's probably dealt with people like Yannick all her life, as in people that only see her gender and dismiss her for that reason. So she's developed a really thick skin. That's why she doesn't express a lot of emotion. She's had to become ruthless to get to the position she's in. Although there's probably a bit of nepotism in there because her dad is Wayland. (laughs) What do you mean probably a bit? Absolutely. <laughs> she's got a thick skin for any of that. I think it's because she knows that she's really privileged and she is beyond every other normal human. They could have taken it a step further, though. They could have made that part of her character, as in the ruthlessness. You think you're using me, I'm using you for this physical pleasure and I'm going to kick you out of my life support pod when I'm done with you. But she doesn't want to. She says to him, do you think I've flown half a billion miles away from Earth, leaving every man to have sex with you. She's quite clear. She's like, I'm not interested. Well, that, that's where it doesn't make sense, yeah. Yeah, so I don't want to continue on with this chat because I just know how it made me feel and I didn't see why it was included. I just thought they really painted it as able to be this awful character, but then that's just kind of where it goes. He says a couple of really awful things. That's the whole of his character, really. And then he has some sort of redemption at the end when he's saying to the other co-pilots, what their plan is and that they're going to go down with the ship and they're going to sacrifice themselves. And, okay, so this is who he is as a person, but he's just been so rude and really disrespectful to everyone else. It's just another ingredient in the amorphous <laughs> bee that is Prometheus. <laughs> it is. I am all for characters that are disgusting, though, as part of a group of characters, because it's really boring if everyone's virtuous and all the same. But I'm not saying he has to be like that. I'm just saying that I have a problem 
with how the writer has written the character and that the way that they're problematic. I think it's fine to have problematic characters. I think though that when it literally bears no real reasoning to any of the rest of the movie, I just think it's really not needed. I think that you can be problematic and you can be offensive to other people in other ways. I don't think it has to come down to being like bartering women and like trying to make them have sex with you and making homophobic remarks to two guys who are lost in a cave. I just feel like he didn't need to say it. He could have said something else. It could have been anything. I just don't get why that is the language that had to be used. And it turns out that I think I hate this writer. <laughs> there, we, there we go. And now that's, that's going to inform to. your views going into any of his other yeah. work. No, I agree. You have to do something with it. The problematic character has to be for some purpose. And I feel like the don't bugger each other is meant as a joke. No, but it can't be a joke. No, but what I mean is it's written as a joke. The audience are supposed to go, oh, that's funny because there are it's two men. Funny, no, it's not. That's the thing. I think but we're all agreeing funny. that it's not so, funny, but no, the writer but like, probably listen, thinks it's... No, but a, listen, you can't say... That is a joke. Because at whose expense is that? What is funny about people being in love or people wanting to have sexual pleasure with each other? Doesn't matter on your gender, your sexuality, anything at all. That is irrelevant. Well, it's bad writing. It's just terrible writing. I don't know if I'd picked that up on the first time watching it, but I was like, this is terrible. It's a terrible inclusion to the movie. The movie would have been better without it. It didn't need it. And I think writers like that need to step away from making characters like that because it just perpetuates awful things. If people find that funny, I think it's just disgusting. Okay, I had no yeah. idea that we'd end up talking about Yannick for so long. <laughs> pretty much hit all of my list of standout characters. Mm-hmm. Do either of you have anyone else that you'd like to discuss that appeared in this? Benedict Wong's always good value, even though he has like two lines in this and I don't remember what any of them are. Well, he does accuse Yannick of being a bad pilot. That's him, isn't it? It's either him or the other guy. He is there, but I don't really think he's got a whole lot to do. No. Mm-hmm. We didn't really talk about the geologist. Fifield? He got lost. We did. So that's what he does. That's what happens to him. He gets lost and then gets his face melted as well. That happens to him. There's a bit throughout the movie where he makes reference to the scientists and seems to not think himself a scientist. It's really interesting because we've talked about the language that's used throughout the movie quite a bit. Maybe, as you can tell. I just thought the way that he talks about the other scientists, he seems to see them very separate to himself. And he also seems to have a massive attitude problem. If I know anything from the Big Bang Theory is that geology is looked down upon by physicists as a science. So maybe that's actually a truism that is present in this film as well. Okay. He's just an example of very strange behaviour from someone that yeah. you would expect to be a bit more professional, a bit yeah. like the exobiologist who is scared of the dead body but then is interested in the <laughs> alien worm that they encounter and that leads to his own demise. Yeah. Not very clever. Yeah. It feels like he's trying to do that whole thing of, oh, I'll just calmly talk to you, I'll be really gentle, I'll compliment you, look at how beautiful you are, as a way to try and back away but then... It kind of goes on for quite a long time and then it gets him. Yeah, he meets a pretty grisly end. Of course he does, because that's what happens when you poke things you don't understand. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A lot of dickworms in this. It's really weird. Well, it's an H.R. Geiger evolution, isn't it? So that's what he did. He was all about the horror of the phallic shapes. I loved him when I was a teenager. 
<laughs> Not so much now. <laughs> so those HR Geiger posters that you've got hanging up on your wall just to freak everybody out that visits. I did have an HR Geiger poster from my wall. I'm not surprised. Got it from Kickass on Comer Street. <laughs> not a sponsor. Yeah. No, I thought it was great because he did a lot of work with a band that I loved as well. Shout to Corn, the lead singer, had a sculpted microphone stand, which is super Geiger. I actually thought all the creature design work in this film was pretty generic, really. When you compare it to the xenomorphs and associated stuff, it's nothing really. You've got a transparent worm, you've got a giant squid. Mm-hmm. It's all really dull stuff. I think where we really get to see Geiger-esque aesthetic is really when they're in that big chamber that's got the control deck and it's got the cry chambers. Yeah, and the they corridors of the temple. Mm-hmm. It's not really a temple, is it? But the pyramid all have got that kind of biomechanical look to them. And there's a xenomorph sculpture on the wall. There's that too. Yeah. I mean, they've got the mural and stuff, but when you look up, that's quite sculptural and that gave me this little Geiger hit that maybe had been missing in the rest of the movie. Well, for the engineer ship, they were just ripping off the design from Alien. It was the exact same design. Yeah, it does need to have that kind of through line to the, this is a prequel, that we need to see some of that. Yeah, even though the engineer in that film was fossilised millions of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Their technology hasn't changed, apparently. Yeah, so I guess it kind of brings us on to what this does for the whole alien lore. You mentioned the space jockey that we see in Alien on the ship that the original facehugger attack happens on. I went into this film first time round, hoping for answers on that or <laughs> wanting to know a bit more. All the questions that we asked over the years about what these xenomorphs were, what their life cycle was like, what they did to other creatures. I mean, we got a bit of that through each of the subsequent sequels. You haven't really seen a cow. A cow or a dog, depending on which version <laughs> you watch. What? Yeah, I'm sure we talked about that years ago. <laughs> the Predalien. Predalien, yes. Craig, were you satisfied by what we saw in here? We've mentioned the worms. I've got various names that I've found out for these online. The Hammerpede, apparently the worm. (laughs) The facehugger that Shaw gives birth to is known as the Trilobite, I believe. And the thing that bursts out of the engineer at the very end as the kind of, what do you call that? (laughs) A little... little, uh... I don't know what you're trying to say. What am I trying to say? (laughs) The protozenomorph type... Yeah, thing. it's, it's yeah. like the kind of full stop. It's the coda to the movie is, is the deacon. Is that what it's called? Okay. I don't know. It's not the word I was looking for. Are these all real things? Just this newly birthed alien left on a dead planet to presumably die pretty quickly. Yeah, because I can only recognise Trilobite. That's a real thing. So is a hammerpede a real thing? I don't think a hammerpede is a real thing. I feel like I'm going to look I think it's just because it's got kind of a hammer-like head (laughs) kind of a centipede or something. Okay, I'm going to look it up and see if anything comes up. But did seeing any of these things... song. I mean, you said that you weren't particularly impressed by the design of any of them. They were all kind of slick and slimy. Do they fail to live up to the original creature? Yeah, definitely. I don't think there's anything that's memorable in any way. And it's part of what makes me wonder if this was not an alien film originally, because none of the imagery is really there. You do see the xenomorph mural, but you could have added that as a production detail later on. That's fine. But if they're trying to suggest that, oh, this is where all this stuff you already know comes from, then that doesn't make any sense. Because like I said, the space jockey and those eggs have been there for millions of years. Because it's been long enough for the space jockey to be completely fossilised. So it's not a prequel in that sense, and they're on a different planet, 
or planetoid. Even though they do try and evoke a lot of the imagery, like the way the ship crashes at the end is very similar to the crashed ship in Alien. It, mm-hmm. it looks mm-hmm. very similar. And if you didn't know what planet they were on in Alien, or you'd forgotten, you might think, oh, so that's how that happened. No, it isn't. That's already happened, and it was a long way away. So I wasn't impressed by any of it. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to take from that thing that's a xenomorph, but not really a xenomorph. (laughs) What am I supposed to take from that? Nothing. It is weird having seen Covenant, and we don't want to go too much into that because we don't want to use up all of our content for next year. also don't remember Covenant that well, so... (laughs) No, neither do I. But I do believe that it kind of goes into how the xenomorph was engineered from what we've seen here. Again, it's that kind of half-baked thing that comes up in this. Of There's a suggestion of all these things, a suggestion of an answer to questions, or a suggestion of how we got to where we eventually got, but none of it's explained or none of it's fully formed. The trilobite, the massive face hugger, I don't really understand how that happens, but at the time, watching it first time round, it was kind of thrilling because it was like, oh my god look at that giant face hugger and you knew that that was going to birth something out of the engineer but again it was a bit underwhelming it's kind of a bit of a dolphin looking alien thing that doesn't appear anywhere else it might come up again kind of in covenant but again that's a story for another time i'm not sure it does i don't think covenant has any connection to this other than david's in it and shaw is mentioned or she might even be in it briefly I seem to think that he does some experimentation on engineering the xenomorph and that there might be some imagery that shows an evolution of the form. But mm. other than that, I can't really mm. remember if that has any impact. I don't know if I've seen it. The only thing I remember about Covenant, other than that connection between David and Wayland, is the weird flute playing scene. <laughs> There's a mm. lot of flute, yeah. Yeah, I remember that, which I'm sure we'll have a great time talking about this time next year. Yeah. Wait, the flute playing scene is in Alien Covenant. Yeah. Well, there's a little flute in this, but they yeah. really take the flute to the oh, yeah. extreme in the yeah. next. If you listen to the audiobook version of it, it's even better. But that's for next year. <laughs> in fact, it's going to be required homework, I think. It should be for before. <laughs> the design works really dull. I think some of the individual sequences are actually pretty good. But I think Ridley Scott is good at certain things. I wouldn't say I was scared by any of it, but I have a real hang up about scenes that depict surgery. For some reason, they just make me squirm. So the quickie cesarean scene is not easy for me to watch. But that would be the same of any surgery sequence in any film. I just wouldn't be able to deal with it. But that's a particularly gruesome one. Yeah, I think it was pretty effectively disgusting. Yeah. Why did you think it was Because it's surgery. She's having a squid pulled out of her and they try and play it up by saying this pod wasn't intended for a woman so you can't even select cesarean from the list of options. Why does this advanced pod not have a female setting? I don't understand. Uh, really don't know. There was only a handful of them made. That's true. She recognises it. Yeah. <laughs> six for men, six for women? I don't know. Yeah, also very strange. It's also a really interesting sub-chat about maybe things being designed for men and women always being overlooked. I think that you're giving them too much credit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I saw the How It Should Have Ended video that suggested that the ship that blasts off at the end of this one should have landed on LV-426. That wouldn't make a whole lot of sense because the goo canisters wouldn't be there. We need eggs. We need a whole lot of extra stuff to work out to make that ship. And as you said, Craig, it would have to be there for millions of years or be fossilized. But do you think that that would have been a better prequel if it did link up directly? No, because that would have been even more confusing unless they travel through time, which of course they don't. We haven't got time travel in the Alien franchise yet. If the timelines worked out, though, would that have tied up nicely? 
Not really. I reject this notion that everything has to be all neatly connected, even though I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This propensity to let's make a prequel and let's make sure it connects the dots in these very exact ways it just annoys me a lot of the time because you don't need to do that solo for example we talked at length about that han solo had a really busy week where everything that we ever heard about happened to him over the course of a few days or take a line from the original star wars about your father fought in the clone wars turn it into a trilogy and a tv series Yes, exactly. Spin that into however many hours of content. Yeah. So, no, I don't think if they'd decided to link it up all neatly and tidily that I would have felt any differently because what I was presented with in this film just wasn't that good. I think some of my disappointment stemmed from that, though. Maybe I thought this was going to be a neat prequel and it was going to tie up a bit more. It was going to be a bit of a Rogue One where <laughs> the very end would just kind of... Bit before Rogue One. Into the, yeah. <laughs> But how could it? What could they do and link it up? I suppose the only linkage you might have is this explains why Mother, as a computer system, knew to respond to certain signals. Probably from the very beginning of the movie, upon seeing it the first time and having all these new ideas introduced and thinking this doesn't tie up with anything, what's all this goo, what's all these canisters, what are these engineers? I think from there it was kind of spinning off in another direction that would never have been able to be funneled back into a neat point where it tied up with the films that have come before. We'll see that in Covenant. Maybe when we're doing our research for Covenant, we'll find all these theories or ideas that were supposed to spin off from this and probably didn't. I guess if you're going to do it, then really do it. Don't half-ass it like it's done here. If you want to give us the origin of Xenomorphs, then give us the origin of the Xenomorphs. This doesn't have to be the origin of those Xenomorphs we see in the previous films, but it could explain where they came from, why the engineers came up with them. There was always these fan theories and implications that they are created to be introduced into a population centre, rapidly multiply and kill everything in sight. That's what they're for. That's why they're such effective weapons. But... They never explicitly explain it. I wouldn't have liked that if they'd done it that way, but at least it would have been something rather than this, I know what to do with this black goo for some reason. And then it creates this weird squid thing that's kind of like a face hugger, but not exactly like a face hugger. And then the engineer is going to give birth to this thing that looks a bit like a xenomorph, but isn't really a xenomorph. So is this a facility that was the preliminary work that would lead to the xenomorphs? The fact that they're in those weird vases seems to suggest that it is because the imagery is similar enough, but it almost looks like it's an earlier version of that, a beta or something like that, before they perfected the whole biological delivery method of it. And yeah, it could be this ancient abandoned facility that led to this stuff. But again, it doesn't explain it, and I would have hated it if they did. So I don't think there's really anything you can do. And then just makes you wonder why all the star maps left on Earth were pointing towards this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not explained either. It's not even the home world. All very strange. Mm. Makes me hate it. <laughs> <laughs> You're tearing it all apart. Yeah, it's what is this? You know, what is this film? What's the point in this film? Do you think I know that we've discussed the alternate scenes or the deleted scenes, alternate intro, alternate ending. Do you think any of that would have been better placed in the film? Do you think any of it explains more or was it right to be released the way that it was? Well the alternate intro is just slightly longer, isn't it? And there's more engineers in it. Yep. Yeah. And that's it. It's otherwise the same. And then the alternate ending is just a bit more dialogue that slows it down. So yeah, I get why they cut that. I don't know. The alternate beginning, it changes this motive though. Because before, for the one that they went with, it's a single engineer. So you don't really know their motive. You think that maybe they're doing it 
because they want to or of their own accord but as soon as they introduce the multiple other engineers that are taking them there it's almost suggesting a sacrifice like they're making a sacrifice or it's not that engineer's choice and they're in a position where they're forced to do it so I think it changes things quite a lot and I think I prefer the one that they've just gone with I think choosing to just have the one where you're not sure what their motives are I agree with what you've said but again I think what appears in the theatrical or in the one that was released watching it originally i was thinking is this some elaborate suicide why is this guy Mm -hmm. doing this you'd have questions either way around like you say Mm -hmm. if there's that group who you see leaving it could be some ritual it doesn't ever really explain it either way so yeah it's just kind of confusing both ways yeah it doesn't make any sense none of it makes any sense and the ending they refer to paradise or there's a sort of Mm -hmm. revelation that Mm -hmm. the language refers to the home world as paradise I guess that ties in somewhat with the religion or a sort of afterlife idea. Again, probably just muddies or goos up the waters. It's the film's only F-bomb in the deleted scene. (laughs) Yeah, and it's really weird because, again, going back to the writing, it's just a really strange response, I think, from her. I'm really glad that they cut that, but then it feels like they've spliced a few different ideas from different edits. I feel like her treatment of David throughout the film chops and changes quite a lot and... In this deleted scene, she's quite aggro with him and she picks up his head, which is at this point being severed by the engineer, shoves it into a bag. She legit picks him up by the hair, shoves him into a bag, seals it, and then cascades down the side of uh, the ship. And in the one that we're presented with, she calls him out for being an android all the time, but then apologises to him when she has to put the zip over his head. <laughs> bag. Why are you saying sorry if you believe that he is only an android. She seems to have compassion and a sensitivity towards him and then in other scenes seems to treat him really dismissively. So I'm kind of glad that they edited the other scene out. She's also established as someone that isn't very space-worthy, as in she's the one that's throwing up violently where everyone else is fine when they come out of stasis. And then she's just sealing herself in space suits and using all the equipment to Lori's body and things like that. There's a skill set there that she never learns and doesn't have. She might have it from explorations in the rugged landscape of Sky. <laughs> so I think that she has physical experience in landscapes and things and in environments. So I think that's believable. It's just more the behavioural treatment. Something yeah. I didn't notice during that scene but I think was pointed out, it might have been in the Cinema Sins video on this that I watched, was that David's head is lying where it is after the engineer rips it off of him and beats Wayland with it. The ship then takes off, crashes, and settles in another position. <laughs> and when she goes back, his head's in the same place. His head and body haven't been thrown around at all by any of this violent movement. Inertial dampeners, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, there must be some kind of field in that sort mm. of navigation room. Mm. <laughs> The whole Whalen thing just confused me completely as well. He comes in and then the engineer's just woken up. He's a bit disoriented, but let's talk at him in his own language. And then he just kills Whalen immediately. There's no purpose to him being there. Yeah. I don't understand why any of it's going on. Well, I found another deleted scene on YouTube where Whalen speaks to the engineer. He gets David to speak to him a bit more than what we see in the theatrical version. Whalen tries to explain to the engineer that he created David and because the engineers created humans that makes them both gods and gods (laughs) deserve to live forever and at that point the engineer freaks out he looks at 
Wayland's creation destroys it. Obviously, this is some sort of way of mm. saying, well, look how easily I can mm-hmm. tear down what you've created and then hits him over the head with his own creation as well, which might be a bit on the nose, no pun intended, <laughs> but that maybe does kind of explain a bit more about what's going on in that scene. I think in the theatrical version, you just get him freaking out and I don't know yeah. whether or not you're supposed to take that as this guy's just woken up. He's not expecting to see puny humans (laughs) these guys shouldn't be here so i'm just gonna freak out and kill them but if you'd seen that conversation would that have changed how you thought about that well i think it's implied isn't it it's just a whole bunch of trying to say a lot without really saying anything but i think sometimes you need to expand and you need to explain it would have been baffling in a different way i think (laughs) yeah that seems to be the through line with all of these alternate scenes is that either they say too much Or they say too little, but either way, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. (laughs) It just confuses me differently. It doesn't make it better or worse. I just feel confused in a different way. (laughs) I think that is a good point then to ask the question, was this movie a good idea? No. That's a definitive no from Craig. Was it a good idea? Think about where we were in the series. We've covered each of these movies so far (laughs) and we've had diminishing returns. (laughs) I think the franchise itself was kind of in the doldrums. It was a bit of a joke. It was down to pure schlock from critically acclaimed beginnings. This was heralded as being Ridley Scott returning. It's going to be revamping it. It's going to answer all these questions. I don't know whether or not that's true, but that's what I was hoping for going in. And definitely did not get that coming out. So I would say no as well. This was probably not a good idea. I think it was a good idea. I think it could have been more than what it was i don't know i feel like there's a lot of things that just left me wanting more i feel bad because i feel like i came around watching the movie and thought oh this isn't as bad as i thought now that we've had this discussion it's bad but it's oddly watchable and i think it's quite an interesting failure that's a term that some quote-unquote critics bandy about about bad films is some of them are interesting failures as in you can watch it and think wow i can't believe that all of these things came into one thing to make it so bad I feel like that about this film. I watch it and I think, it's really baffling that this exists. It's competently made, as in it's well shot. The actors are all doing pretty well with the material they've got. Some of them don't have great material to work with. In fact, most of them don't. And the story does flow. So it's not that it's hard to follow. So yeah, you get a general sense that some effort has been put into it. Ridley Scott clearly knows what he's doing. I do think that Ridley Scott has made a lot of bad films, though, especially later in his career. Because I remember seeing a few of his, I forget what the order of his releases are, but some of them are pretty unwatchable. Things like The Counselor and stuff, which also stars Michael Fassbender. And I remember being surprised when The Martian came out and thinking, this is amazing. This is such a good movie. Because that wasn't the norm for Ridley Scott at this point. And I remember there was a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths after this. When Tony Scott died, for example, some really horrible people were saying, oh, the wrong brother died. Holy crap, (laughs) how could you say that? Yeah, so we know that Tony Scott recently made Unstoppable, and that's a good film about a train that won't stop. It's really good. But yeah, there's no need to say that one brother should have died over the other. So I think Ridley Scott, in general, his best days are behind him. He makes Alien Covenant, which is maybe worse than this. I don't know. We'll see about that next year. Unless you're binging these podcasts in a wonder, in which case, listen on to find out. Yeah, and then wait and see how creative we'll be after Alien Covenant to still (laughs) celebrate the anniversary. I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, maybe we don't need to discuss. I thought, I think. Maybe it's such deep length. I think. It kind of ruins it. Well, but that's the point of this podcast. (laughs) 
<laughs> we're looking at AVP. We all went in thinking this is truly rubbish, but we asked the question: Does it achieve what it set out to achieve? And I think we all thought, yeah, it's not too bad. It knows what it is. It's doing what it wants to do. I agree with you, Craig, about what you said. This is well made. It's well acted. I don't think it achieves what it set out to achieve, though. No, <laughs> which is the problem. Well, I'm not sure what it sets out to achieve. That's part of the problem. It might not know, yeah, so that's kind of an issue. (laughs) Is it an alien prequel? Is it a story about meeting your creator? Is it neither of those things? What is it about? It's definitely not a character-driven story in any way because the people in it are just fodder for set pieces in a lot of ways. What if humans are actually the origins and they're us in the future? (laughs) You're just like setting out more unanswerable questions. (laughs) David at some point says, doesn't everyone want to kill their parents? Almost an answer to why he took out Holloway. And then that's exactly how the engineer responds when he wakes up. I don't know. Yeah, so I think that um, (laughs) all that's left to do is update our rankings of everything that we've watched so far. Before we do, though, I did have a think about the naming of the ship Prometheus, and I was thinking about hubris in sci-fi, and I just wanted to make a quick point and just a quick question to both of you. They named their ship Prometheus. This was about the titan that stole the knowledge of fire from the gods, gave it to humans, and then was ultimately tortured for doing so. So I don't know if that seems like a great thing to call your ship. I was thinking about other examples of this, like in Sunshine, their ship is called Icarus 2. (laughs) Their mission is to fly to the sun. Obviously, Icarus flew too close to the sun and plummeted to his demise. I was thinking about Avatar. They named the planet Pandora. That seems like a pretty bad thing. Foreshadowing there about what's going to happen when we delve too deeply into this box. I was trying to think of some other examples. I could only come up with something as bad as Titanic 2. There's a movie called Titanic 2. where they make another Titanic and you're like, well, what could possibly go wrong here? So off the tops of your heads, do you have any other examples of hubris in the naming of ships, planets? I talked about this recently, but it's only because I'd read a name of something and I said to myself, that would be a really amazing character name. Yeah, no, I can't remember. But it made me think of the names that you get in like Dickens books. <laughs> you know, where it's very There's apparent of who they are. Nominative determinism. Yeah. Craig, you must have some good examples of this. If I'd been not blindsided by this, if it had been on the agenda, I may have done a bit more research. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of them. Not just sci-fi names, character names and things like that. It seems to be set up for failure. I think the whole Prometheus name for the film is kind of pretentious in a way because it is, we're going to steal fire from the gods and it's going to punish us. But yeah, you call the ship Prometheus because it's set up in this expedition that none of the crew know about until they're briefed. Do you know that question and mentioning the names makes me like this movie more? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's possibly a good time to segue Mm -hmm. into the rankings then. So. That's the you probably don't remember how you've ranked all of these. No, and I don't. Do you even remember the names of all the films that we've covered? Uh, okay, hold on. You said that this was number seven. I believe this is the seventh film we've covered right. in this series. So- Four alien films, two AVPs, so that's six. Spoiler alert, this is for me to get. <laughs> alien, Aliens, Alien to the Grave, Alien to Remember, Alien vs. Predator, Alien vs. Predator, two... Return of the Big Jafar. Guy, and this one, which is Prometheus. <laughs> okay, so was that you just listing all of them, or was that your that was all order of, of ranking them? That was me listing all of them. I thought you were challenging me to name all of the Okay, now that movies. you've done that, do you know roughly where this falls in, in your okay. list? So, Aliens 2, Aliens 1, Aliens in the Ice Caps, 
and maybe Prometheus. Well, maybe. Okay, yeah. so you're going aliens, alien, AVP, the one in Prometheus. The yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're saying that this is fourth in your list. Yeah, and then down somewhere else, you've got Alien 3, Alien Resurrection, and AVP Requiem. literally care to not remember the rest of that's, them. That's fine. You can <laughs> name up to four and then just have the rest in a tie for worst. It's just in a jumble. Craig, I expect yours to be a lot more coherent. <laughs> the top spot is Alien or Aliens, depending on my mood, because it's interchangeable which one I prefer. It depends what mood I'm in. I'm in the mood for horror or action. Depends. So they're hovering around the top spot. Then AVP, the first one. Then this. And then three and four. And then Requiem at the bottom. Which one was Requiem? Last year. AVP 2. The very dark. Oh. Couldn't really see what was going on. Yeah. Oh, and in it's a like town in the Colorado street. or something. Yeah, it's like on there. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I should have called it like AVP the street. <laughs> to the street. I don't know. <laughs> AVP2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> I also want to mention that. Cruise I'm Control. Really glad that you, yep, absolutely. That you mentioned Sunshine because I was getting Sunshine vibes earlier when you were talking about this storyline of a crew. They go and hear a signal, they follow that signal, they find another ship, and then bad things happen. That is Sunshine. And so you made me think of it earlier. So I'm glad it's on the list of other ships that have been mm-hmm. named after. Dooms. It's even funnier that in Sunshine it's the Icarus 2 because the first one went missing, so let's give the second one a doomed name as well. I've actually found a funny hubristic one or ironic name. In Aliens, Private Frost dies by getting accidentally roasted by a fellow Marine's flamethrower. Well, there you go. It's on topic as well. Yeah. I want to quickly add in that I thought that the music in this was very Star Trek. You didn't Want to hear my listing of rankings? Oh, sorry. Yeah, do. <laughs> <laughs> I've yeah. kind of arranged them into tiers. I based it on my old ranking. As in how they made you cry. Yeah, how many tears I shed watching them. Top, I've got Aliens and then Alien. That's the top tier. <gasps> then you we- mean Aliens? Yeah. I think I said something very similar to Craig in that I think that they're okay. equal. And I would agree that depending on what mood you're in, you could watch one or the yeah. other. But I think... I'm more often in an aliens mood than I am in an alien mood. So that's why it just has to pip it to the top spot. It must be love. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Tier two, I've got this listed as Alien 3, then AVP, then Prometheus. And I'm wondering whether or not that's correct because I used to think that I really didn't like Alien 3. But then after we'd watched so many of these other movies, it's kind of floated to the surface (laughs) compared to the others. So it's possible that those might interchange at different times. Alien 3 the jail. Yes. No. (laughs) And then at the very bottom of the list is Alien Resurrection and then AVP Requiem. You cannot like the jail one more than I feel bad about putting Prometheus at fifth in this list, but I just think based on what we were saying about AVP does what it sets out to do, Prometheus doesn't. I think Mm. for now it's going to go there on my list. Oh my gosh. And that's final. (laughs) Until next year, it could upend everything. It's all jumbled up again. To quote Vickers. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that brings us to any other business or final thoughts? Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it's really weird when we talk about films and I think, would I go back and watch this? Will I watch it ever again? And the thing is, that I can see this being on in the future and me maybe picking something up or ignoring it. There are definitely some of the other Alien movies where I'm like, I don't ever want to have that <laughs> on my screen. Ever again, I don't ever want to be presented with anything from that. 
ever. I think I wouldn't mind so much if this just happened to be on. Would I choose to put it on? I don't think I would. And in a world of streaming, that seems even more likely (laughs) that you won't watch it again. (laughs) You never know. Although, having said that, the more I say how much I hated Alien 3 and other terrible ones i'm like maybe i should go back and watch them to see if they're really that terrible and i'm like i'm not doing that either so i just gotta hope that alien covenant is good and i've heard from a friend that there's an infuriating haircut scene so i'm not waiting for that because i'm not too sure if i've seen it before you might want to be able to go back and watch these because you say that when you listen to our podcast you kind of say what you're about to say and you say it yeah and i get really mad at myself i'm like oh why didn't i say this and i'm like no i did back and check your thoughts on the only three i happens to be when i'm editing this would be a good point to bring this up and then i do and i'm like, good <laughs> and you're like oh i can't believe i agree with myself so much amazing i can't believe i'm laughing at my own jokes how pathetic is that no i love it so craig your final thoughts on prometheus i think it's telling that it took me a decade to revisit it but maybe i had to take a decade to revisit it because most films that we talk about on this podcast I've seen more than once and I suppose I have now seen this more than once but it actually surprises me that in the 10 years since it's been out I've not ever revisited it for any reason. I remember I was on a flight to New York and it was there on the list of things I could watch and I was like mm, nah I'm not going to watch that it's fine <laughs> especially on a crappy little LCD back of plane chair that screamed. Just as Ridley intended. Just as Ridley Scott intended, yeah. I don't own this on Blu-ray. The only box set I've ever bought for Alien is I've got the 1080p box set of the first four and then that's it. But the only reason I have three and four is because it was cheaper to buy them (laughs) than it was to buy the first two on their own. But yeah, I don't own it and I never plan to. So it's good that it was on Disney Plus for the purpose of this so I could watch it. And I think I built it up in my head that it was worse than it is Uh, i mean it is a mess but i was expecting it to be more of a mess Mm -hmm. than it turned out to be like i said a couple of times it's competently made it's easy to follow the actors are good it's just ill-conceived really so Mm -hmm. yeah i suppose that's my final thought i'm not huge on it never gonna watch it again i'm free yeah can i ask have you seen prometheus more or g-force more well, I've seen G-Force more than once, so yes. I've seen it twice. <laughs> so they're tied right now. Yeah. G-Force. It's a running joke that probably never really been mentioned on the podcast. You'd have to go back, listen to every episode and find out. We should do a G-Force episode one day, though. No, no thanks. <laughs> you guys are more obsessed with it than I am. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I've spied that special edition box set in your house. <laughs> it has Nicolas Cage as a mole. Oh, okay, I might be interested. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> There's the selling point. Yeah. The unbearable weight of massive talent. <laughs> yeah. What are your final thoughts? Very similar. Good cast. It looks good. Bad script. It's confusing in terms of the canon. I went in expecting something that's on me i did not get that out of it either Mm -hmm. 10 years ago when i first saw this or in a couple of times since i think it creates a lot more questions than answers which isn't great because i went in looking for answers a bit like the crew of the prometheus but instead i just got a load of black goo (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you've heard where i've placed it in my rankings it's in tier two it's at the bottom of tier two right now stay tuned we'll see if those change much in a year's time when we've got another movie to assess but yeah that brings us to the end of another alien day celebration thank you for joining how did we We need to figure out how we're celebrating this holiday because we're just at this point just watching crap (laughs) <laughs> yeah i wonder what we'll have to have well i think. mean the end is in sight surely if we've only got one more 
Yeah. We've only got one. So is Alien Covenant the last one? I mean, I think there's been rumblings of other films. There's a film on its way and a TV series. Oh, we've never the TV series come <laughs> <laughs> One of them may be out by the time we come to do two years from now. Yeah, and it might be relevant too. <laughs> but otherwise, we can move on to Predator, I suppose. That's what we discussed before. Yeah, I think there are a few things that we could follow. Well, Predator is connected, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yes, we've nice. already discussed those Preds. As are penguins. Never forget. <laughs> and there are four of them, so we're set for the next five years, if we follow that logic. Oh, well, so the end isn't really in sight, guys. It's, uh... <laughs> and the Alien TV series slash film will definitely be within those five years. I'm probably not going to watch that. Well, you'll have to for the annual Alien Day podcast, <laughs> such as The Rule. That's what we've committed to. Yeah. Well, uh, so we'll yeah. see you all again <laughs> next year for another exciting installment of Neil Before Pod Alien Day special. We did it again! And if you enjoy what you heard here, then you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please do leave us a rating and a comment. Craig, you know what rating we like? We do like a five. I was trying to think of an alien or Prometheus relevant <laughs> number that was associated with five. How many cave paintings five were there? Five squid. <laughs> yeah. Straight up five. <laughs> <laughs> well, five, yes, and a comment. Five in a comment, please. And if you like what you heard here, then hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. Oh wait, there's more. As always, <laughs> we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod. Goodbye.